Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Fans Talk Pro Wrestling Podcast. As always, I am your host with the Holla French Toast, Freddie Carlson, and I am joined today by two very fantastic individuals. First of all, uh, the uh, always pleasant color commentator from the other side of the camera, Angelo Belli. Say hi to the people, Angelo. Hello, hello. Welcome to this very special episode. And today we are joined by a good friend. His name is Austin. He is a huge wrestling fan, just like the both of us, and he is going to be joining us today for this podcast episode. Austin, say hello. What's up, y'all? <laughs> All right. So we asked Austin to join us because we have an interesting topic to talk about today, and we think he can provide a lot of insight uh, in addition to ours. Uh, so what we're going to talk about today is going to uh, talk about an, uh, the lack of new stars being produced in WWE, uh, as well as the comparison of modern stars to stars from the past, and how we view that comparison to be either good or bad. Spoiler alert, I don't like it. But we'll get to that. Um, so right off the bat, I'm going to throw a question to the both of y'all. Austin, since you're our guest, I'll let you go first. Is there anything that you can say about WWE in 2020 and whether they are successful or not successful in creating new stars? Anything that you can pinpoint right off the bat? Uh, so right off the bat, there's... I I would say that they're I don't I don't know what the right formula is for creating the right st- the the brand new John Cena face that runs the place, but uh, nothing that they've been trying as of recently has been working, and they've got the top talent to do it. They've got AJ Styles, they've got Roman Reigns, Seth Rollins, they've got all these marquee names, they've got Brock Lesnar, they've got whoever they want, and they haven't been really successful in creating that next. John Cena, the name, and when it comes to talking about like these stars, about like who we're exactly talking about, in my mind, who it is is like, um, you've got your names that people who aren't fans of pro wrestling can just name, and like you can name them, and they know who you're talking about. So you've got John Cena, you've got Ric Flair, you've got Hulk Hogan, The Rock, Stone Cold, Steve Austin. Those are just a few. There might be a couple more, but I mean, those are the mainstream people that are going to get people who might not be watching wrestling, they'll they'll recognize the name and they'll associate. And so those are kind of what we're talking about. And in terms of building that next star, that's going to be, you know, people in the mainstream world are going to know about. There's no one right now that they have that's really doing that other than like Randy Orton they've had for a while. And I guess he's like borderline only because of the RKO vines from 2013, 2014. (laughs) But, and they, they've started too with Roman Reigns and I'll get into that in a little bit later, I guess. But yeah, I'll turn it over to Angelo. Yeah. Angelo, What do you got, man? I mean, yeah, they, they do have a very tough time creating new people. I feel like what they're trying to do is they're trying to put new faces into um, I'm trying to I'm trying to find better terms for it, but into already used gimmicks. Like I remember back in what was it, 2014, 2015, they tried to do the the remake of the Mega Powers with uh, Damian Sandow and Curtis Axel. <laughs> as funny as it was, God, that was awful. Just get their asses beat. That was awful. It was it was very awful. I'm gonna say that right now. I I love both of those guys, and I think they're very talented wrestlers. But that that that. Sandow came off of that great face turn at WrestleMania, turned on the Miz. They built it for months, and that's what you go with. I mean, I could have listed a thousand things that I would have done before making him dress up like Macho Man. 
Macho Man now. Oh, <laughs> well, even like the, even Axel and Sandow just doing their own thing as themselves would have been a hundred times better than the Mega Power. Absolutely. Oh, a doubt. He came out and did that promo in the black t-shirt and the jeans uh, as Sandow. And everyone was like hyped for what was going to come next. It was that. like everyone's pick to do great things. And then that happened. a year later, he was released. And, you know, it's, you can't really say much else about that. Yeah, that's WWE just kind of taking someone that they know that, that clearly has a lot of talent and a genuine connection with the audience and just saying, we don't know what to do with you because you're not like what we're used to. And unfortunately, they've only had a handful of times in the past where they've actually capitalized on that opportunity. And honestly, I can only think of Daniel Bryan when that comes to mind. And we know how hard they tried to not make that happen. I mean, if you think back to the the, the playing out of that whole eight-month storyline, yeah, great culmination WrestleMania 30. I mean, by far one of my absolute favorite moments as a fan ever watching on a live pay-per-view. But the the he wasn't supposed to be there. We all know that. He was literally supposed to wrestle Sheamus for the United States Championship on that show. And yet he ends up in the two of the biggest matches of the year against three bona fide Hall of Fame superstars and winning all of, both of them and the world title and the whole celebration. And to me, that was a just do. And it was like WWE saying, maybe we can, to me, like as even at the time, I was like, hey, this is a chance for a new guy to be on the top for years to come. And now I know... You can't book around injuries. We talked about it with our our fantasy booking last week, Angelo. But oh, yeah. you, you you can't book around injuries, but you can you can book around stupidity. And the stupidity of not seeing how popular Brian was at first was was I, I just cannot understand it. Um and then two, um and then you know, kind of going back to what we were saying before about having the pieces there. Uh, personally for me, I think that they do have a lot of pieces that can be beneficial. I mean, Austin, I know you're a huge Drew McIntyre fan and they're doing a lot of good things with Drew right now. And I'm saying that with both fingers crossed that they don't mess this up because he's a bona fide superstar for the future. And seeing as though you're such a big fan, I thought I could ask you, do you see them giving him the same type of treatment that a John Cena or a Brock Lesnar or a Roman Reigns has gotten? you know, in the next five, ten years while he's still in his prime? Well, I do I do see him, in terms of, like, the wrestling world, I do see him being, this is not his one-and-done world title run. I think that when this is over, there'll be a second one, possibly a third or a fourth down the line. Um, it just depends on how many years he's he feels he has left on his career. But it's... It's interesting because it's like we're talking about who's going to be built to be the next big face of the company that people are going to put on their wrestling Mount Rushmore's from the other from your other guys' podcast like a while back. Mm-hmm. And what is Drew McIntyre not doing right now, or creative not having him do right now that's not letting him get to those heights? Because like he's been putting on really good matches during the pandemic era. He's been putting on great doing great promos he's been really excelling at being a wwe champion but i still don't feel like when this reign is said and done whether he has more reigns or not he's going to be remembered as an all-time great in the sport of pro wrestling like because anyone can have one wwe championship run the miz jinder mahal and they're all good really good 
wrestlers, but it's like, what does Drew need to do or what does someone need to tell Drew to do to really just get from where he is now even higher into the stratosphere? And he can do it. It just needs, we need to know what he needs to do. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, and I like the I like the concept of him working with Randy right now. I mean, Austin, you and I after Angelo and I's first episode was released on YouTube, you uh, you had said to me that you were kind of surprised at my ranking of Randy Orton and how low he was on my top fifty. Um, and I actually, especially because that was done really early into the return of this Legend Killer gimmick, and after this summer and seeing how good of a promo he cuts, even at this stage of his career, and how good it, the storytelling has been, fantastic. I really do want to reevaluate to the point where I can put him in the top 10. And I think Drew working with a guy like that for an extended basis like he is, is really going to benefit him in the long run. Because Randy has, you know, I mean, Randy has his reputation for he, he can be lazy and stuff. But when he wants to work, he can work. And I think that if he can, you know, and I don't, I don't know what goes on behind the scenes, obviously. We, we don't know until, if at all, very until very much later in the process. I think that this could be beneficial to Drew because he can give him the character nuances that Drew might be missing to really make that big step. You know, John Cena wasn't a major star overnight. You know, he, he had that really rough uh-huh. 2002, 3. It wasn't until 2004 when he was starting to connect with the crowd and finally getting over with the Thugonomics gimmick. And, you know, he became one of the all-time greats to the point where now he's got this Hollywood career that's budding and he's going to very well be one of you know, WWE's, you know, biggest draws whenever he's there. So I think that there's a lot of steps that can still be taken for a guy like Drew and many others, like we've said, to really get to that, that level going forward. There, there are but definitely a bunch of other names in WWE right now who are very, who have the potential to be up and be that next face, that next Mount Rushmore face of the company. And they're just not there yet. And it's, I don't know what they need to do. Something needs to happen for them to get there. Um, but yeah, no, Randy Orton, I, I will not stop singing his praises. <laughs> I'm I'm not always the most firm. Like, I love Randy Orton, but like he's he I have my favorites just personally, and he's one of my favorite he's he's my goat. Okay, like he's my greatest of all time. There's no doubt about that. Just because Drew and John Morrison, I like them more, doesn't mean that Randy Orton is my goat. Mm-hmm. And Randy Orton is the goat because he pays attention to the little things. Every little detail of the match, you can see him selling it, or you can see him paying attention to it and working it into the storyline going forward. And him and one other person that I know that do that really well is Johnny Gargano. And I think Johnny Gargano is definitely going to have some potential to be mm-hmm. one of those faces if they do it right. Oh, I'm, I, I've am i said this to Angelo many a time. I'm so afraid for what happens if he and Adam Cole and Tommaso Ciampa, if they ever leave NXT and come to the main roster, so to speak, oh, yeah. I, I'm so afraid for what's going to happen to them. because, I, And I hate to just say you know it's going to be the same thing that happened with everybody before them, but the track record isn't great. There's a very select few guys who have come up from NXT in this incarnation, I'm going to add, and seen any type of success. And I and I don't count Seth Rollins because, let's be honest, NXT wasn't what it is now when he was there. So now you have to kind of start from the NXT during the era where uh, Kenta and Finn Balor and uh, Kevin Owens, when they all got signed, that was when NXT kicked yeah. off into this next level. Absolutely, and I and I think, I think too, 
uh, a guy like, you know, even Kevin Owens, he's had a successful main roster run, but what really memorable has he done? I mean, I can't really, I mean, I know because I've watched the whole thing. And outside of his debut match with John Cena, there hasn't been anything that you can really pinpoint and say, oh yeah, that's that's Owens' defining moment. Like, when you think of Randy Orton, you can think of a bunch of defining moments that really shaped his career. You know, the legend killer gimmick the first time around, and all the things he did with, like, Mick Foley. And then the stuff where he where he was, like, the psychotic heel, he was punting all the McMahons in the head in 09. You know, and then his authority run in 24. I'm picking three things out of Randy Orton's career. Out of the many, of many. things that he's done. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you can sit here all night and, like you said, sing Orton's praises. But that's where you need to say, okay, Kevin Owens, he had a great debut. All right. Um, well, he know. had his he had his one and done world title reign, and the title reign was handed to him in storyline, and so it's not oh, like a you can't even know. really count that as a and, crowning moment because I don't see it as. And that. he lost, and the guy he lost it to was Bill Goldberg, who I am not a fan of. If you've listened to these episodes, Angelo, you know I'm not a fan of Bill Goldberg. I could very well attest to that. So actually, absolutely despise him. So Angelo, to go to you, um, you know, we talk about Gargano and and McIntyre and other guys. If you had to pick one guy on any of the three brands, and this is a little bit of a harder question to kind of answer, um, who's not really been the face of anything like he's never been a world champion he's never really been a big name in that respect who's one guy that you can see getting to that level and you know being the next guy i mean we, we talked about the obvious candidates but is there anyone that's your that's we're sleeping on or any everyone's sleeping on maybe so someone who hasn't held any of the main you know nxt universal or wwe championships <sighs> man um It's kind of it's kind of tough. I don't know how this is gonna go over, but I'm just saying it because I've seen his work uh, pre WWE a little bit. I'm gonna probably say maybe if work if he gets to work with the right people and he gets the right advice from everybody, I'm gonna say maybe Dijakovic might be that guy. Mm, just like, based on his athleticism like and seeing all of his stuff. I've loved his stuff with Keith Lee. I was I wasn't I mean I knew of him before his NXT days, but. Watching him with Keith Lee was, oh yeah, that some, was. I you know I mean we, we all know Keith and and Keith Lee, I am so high on Keith Lee, for a guy his size and and I know and there's a lot that can be said about this 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 new music and this new attire and we can go on about that again right. forever. I just think that if they just let him be him, do him, give him good. Solid storylines, you know, no 50-50 booking. I think he can genuinely be a star and be that that guy. I mean, if, if I had to pick one guy, you know, not you know, not Gargano, not Champa, not Cole, not Balor, all these guys who you, you can say maybe, maybe, maybe. I think Keith Lee is the real deal. He's got that natural charisma that a guy, you know, of the caliber of a John Cena or or a Steve Austin has, and that's natural in the sense that he doesn't have to create it. He he just comes out there and he has this this feeling of I am going to capture the attention of the room no matter what I say or what I do while I'm here. And I remember when he came out at the Royal Rumble and the and he faced off with Brock Lesnar. I remember popping myself while I was watching right here in my room, but. 
I remember the crowd outside of Edge, because I mean, listen, Edge coming back was going to be the moment of the night no matter what. Oh, yeah. And McIntyre winning, those two. But right up there with those two pops was Keith Lee's music hitting and realizing, oh, shoot, he's about to go head to head with Brock Lesnar. You know, and that's a match we all want to see play out like, down I would the line. Love to see that match down yeah. the line. You know, and it's because when Brock again, it's like with Randy. When Brock wants to work, he's gonna work. He made Drew look like a champ earlier this year, taking those claymores all the time. That one night on Raw, uh, in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. right before the pandemic era started, he was out there selling those claymores like they were punt kicks. And what you might not have noticed, actually, is there was this one little moment on the stage where Brock actually tells Drew to lift the title up on the stage. Wow. And, like, it's it just shows that Brock really knows. People people give him so much shit for, like, oh, Brock doesn't care about the business. He's in it for himself. He's sitting on the couch in Minnesota. <sighs> don't, don't give. Don't give me that. Don't no. give me that. That he doesn't care about the business. That he's only there for the money. That's not true. Because... He plays this person that you want. You want him to lose so bad. You, I don't want anyone else to lose worse than Brock Lesnar. Walking into WrestleMania 34 and we're ready to see Roman Reigns finally end the reign of Brock Lesnar. And he doesn't do it. And Brock is so good at that. Mm-hmm. And he, he's good at putting people over, too. I mean, he lost to Seth Rollins, like, twice in 2019 mm-hmm. at the two big pay-per-views. Yeah. And don't don't get me wrong, he definitely cares in that respect as well. But, like, people t- people telling me that he doesn't care, that's not necessarily true. No. I just think that's people airing out their personal grievances with how he likes to work or whatever. That's Yeah. I, I hearken back to his uh, 2015 series of matches with The Undertaker. If you, and listen, Taker was 50 years old and probably should not have been in there taking the bumps he was taking with Brock Lesnar. I'm going to be honest with that. Because Taker, he, he he's at his point where he needs to stop. And I'm kind of glad that if he, if he actually has retired, I'm okay with it because of the situation. But besides that, I was there the night he faced Brock at SummerSlam. It was the only time I've been lucky enough to watch The Undertaker wrestle in my life. And, like, live in person. And I remember watching those two guys... I mean, they worked well together every time they ever had a match, but damn, those guys put on a show for you that night. They really made you think that one of these guys was going to be carted out of there on a stretcher. Whether it was Brock from take throwing Taker around like he was a toy, or Taker from saying, I'm just going to keep hitting you until you go down, or choke you out till you pass out. I genuinely was invested. And then their Hell in a Cell match, arguably, and, and, and this is to be... You know, this is to be d- debated. I think was the best match those two had together, and they've had some great matches together. They had their O2 Hell in a Cell match. Mania thirty, Mania thirty may have fallen a little flat because Taker got concussed, but I think that was their best match together, both story wise oh, I, I, I agree. and 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 the, the and the playing out of the circumstances. They they made and and then I think you even saw like that little bit of respect between the two. You know, even though I don't know if it was intended. You know, as as, as the match ended, because I mean Brock was like. And this old man's got something left. Even if even if I just beat it out of him, he had something to give. And I love that kind of stuff. And Brock is the best at pulling that out of people. The absolute best at pulling that out of people. Yeah. So getting back to our original discussion about what's going to make a star a star, I have an interesting question for you. Oh, okay. And so for the past year, they've been really pushing hard on The Fiend. Oh. Right? The Fiend is their 
top. He, he's in all the advertising, at least a little bit in some capacity. He may be a little too scary for some of the demographics. I'll give you that. But do do you believe that the Fiend will one day have the same star power that the Undertaker, who is one of those Mount Rushmore names? Do you think down the line he may ever be able to get to that same level? Oh, man. And Angelo, you got something for that? I got to think, man. This is tough. Uh, it, it definitely is a tough one. I'm coming but, in with the hard-hitting question. I love it. Bring it on, man. I love this. No, this is this is exactly what I like about this, is that we can easily talk about it. Um, will he have the, sta- the same star power as Taker and possibly be on the Mount Rushmore? I think maybe... You know, however long he has left in the tank as time goes on, I think he could probably he could probably make it up there like Taker. He could probably wrestle until he's sixty, no problem. Uh, I don't know. I don't know about sixty, but you yeah, know, like I mean, Taker, Taker's pushing his age, and he's still going like he did back in you know like ten, fifteen years ago. Mm-hmm. So I think I think possibly if the Fiend you know does all the right stuff that he needs to do, he could possibly be that. Yeah. Uh, okay, so for me, it's a little bit like, I'm, I hate, I hate to be, you know, critic. I hate, I hate to be critical of the story direction when it comes to somebody that I love, because I genuinely love this gimmick from the second I first saw it. Right. And right off the bat, not even a month in, Angelo, you, you, I mean, Austin, you were at Money in the Bank too. Uh, the crowd was chanting, yowie, wowie, and this gimmick was a month old, you know, at one point during, that, Hel- uh, during the yeah. Money in the Bank match. So it's like, to be able to have that get over so quickly is a sign that people enjoy it. The Undertaker gimmick got over very quickly because it was so different at the time for all the honky, hokey gimmicks that were happening in the early 90s that it got over and it clicked because people were like, this is different and the guy can go. But that being said, in the course of a year... You book yourself into a corner with Seth and and, and the Fiend because you don't want Seth to lose, but you don't want the Fiend to lose. So what do you do? You have a DQ and a Hell in a Cell match where there's no disqualifications. And then you have him win the title because you realize you messed up with that one and he ends up losing it to a man who is 55 years old and should not be wrestling in Bill Goldberg. And then you have him go an entire summer trying to get the title back to then lose it after holding it for seven days, to him, and all right, I'm gonna give Roman the credit. Roman's new gimmick is really exciting, so I'm gonna give that one a smaller pass than the Fiend losing to Goldberg. But the story direction is very simple to me. You gotta let this man be untouchable, and he has to be untouchable for as long as you can, and that's the only way he'll ever match the Undertaker, because. You, and, and that's to say that you and, and I don't want to compare because that's the, another thing we're going to talk about before this is over. But right. I, I, if you're trying to build a similar star to that same caliber with a creepy gimmick, who's now, you need to book him the right way. Otherwise, no one's going to believe in him after a while. That's what happened with the original incarnation of Bray Wyatt. He kept losing the big match. And you know what? After the second or third time, it's like, well, damn, he's going to cut an interesting but pretty weird promo, have a good match, and then take the loss at the end of the day because the other guy's got to go over and look strong. So Yeah, I mean, like, he wasn't – I don't even think he ever 
really won the big match as his first incarnation until Elimination Chamber 2017. And I don't think... He never and- really did. And, like, so if, if all he was doing was going out there and cutting eerie promos and then losing, he's, at that point, was, let's be honest, no better than Goldust, who could go out there and say some weird shit and, you know, then lose the match. And then... But the, I will say that, and we'll get into that comparison thing in a minute because I'm actually itching to talk about that. But the cha- your your championships don't don't per, like aren't everything with the business, mm-hmm. but booking is. Yeah. And the way that they've booked him to lose said championships twice in these manners is just it, it, now they're just throwing him into a time filler uh, storyline with Alexa bliss, which could be exciting, but it's, it's such a weird direction to just veer off in out of nowhere. Honestly. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if it's even recoverable. Will the character always be interesting? Yes, because there's no one else doing it. There's Mm -hmm. no one else who's going out and playing Steve from blues clues on our TV in this wrestling world like this, (laughs) but it's, I like that one. I love that. (laughs) I, I think they blew it. Yeah. I hate to say it too because they had so much potential. And even after the stuff with Goldberg, I did think it was recoverable because one loss doesn't break a person. I mean, people like to think it does, but one loss doesn't break a person if the gimmick is still over because he turned around and had a, one of the best matches, well, match being the loose word, at WrestleMania in the Firefly Funhouse match with John Cena. And people over. were still talking about that in the Boneyard match, and those weren't really even matches. Yeah, those were cinematic <laughs> Um, dare I say masterpieces because they put together something that was so unique and different that we haven't seen before. It wasn't like a ripoff of the, of the uh, ultimate deletion, the final deletion, the, 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 all those deletion things that Matt Hardy did in the compound. I lost track at this point. Um, you know, and it was, it, and it really to me was the salvation for Bray Wyatt. I was like, Oh, you know what? He still beat Cena. You know, he may have lost the title, but he beat Cena. He doesn't need the title. Like you said, the title doesn't make a major superstar. Look at some of the biggest names in the business. Rowdy Roddy Piper was never mm-hmm. world champion, but he is held in the highest regard because of what he did in the business. You know, he may not be Mount Rushmore caliber, but he is definitely in the discussion for one of the all-time greatest, especially if you're talking heels. So, And he's another name that people outside of the wrestling world, they know. They know Rowdy Roddy Piper. Absolutely. And to be able to say, hey... I was never world champion. I was never the guy here. I was only one of the guys. And I'm still one of the most well-known. That's something that can be, you know, you can talk about it here 30 years later. Uh, We have a a timer notification coming from Zoom as we're using Zoom tonight, everybody. Uh, We got 10 minutes left, so we will move this along um, because this is a free Zoom account. But nonetheless, we will move right along into our discussion about... uh, this comparison thing. So I'm going to read this to you guys. This made it around on social media a couple of weeks ago, and the three of us have all seen it a couple of times, and we're going to discuss this. Uh, someone was saying that you have modern-day versions of some Attitude Era legends, um, and he's comparing modern wrestlers to them. So I'm going to read this list, and then I'm going to let you two just go to town on what you think about it. Uh, he compares MJF to The Rock, John Moxley to Stone Cold Steve Austin, Chris Jericho to Hulk Hogan, Jericho kind of fits both eras, to be honest. Orange Cassidy to Triple H. Kenny Omega to Bret Hart and Ric Flair. 
Hangman Adam Page to John Cena and Shawn Michaels. Darby Allen to The Undertaker. Ray Phoenix to Rey Mysterio. The Young Bucks to The Hardy Boys. Go ahead. What do you have to say about that? Uh, Austin, you want to go first? No, I'll, uh, Angela, go first. Angela, I've been go, talking okay, a lot. Okay, Angela, go ahead. Alright, so, um, really quick, with the, the whole MJF to The Rock thing, I honestly do not see it. See but if you're going to compare him to someone that, you know, from like a different era, me and my brother were talking about it, and he said that, um he could see MJF as Randy Orton when he first debuted. So that, you know, if, if that was the case, I would definitely a hundred percent agree with that one. But MJF as a rock, no way in hell. Mox is awesome. I definitely see. That's the only one I credit. That's the, if I'm going to credit any of these, that's the only one I'm giving it to. I, I because actually it's the only legit logistical one. Sorry. No, two, two of them that I credit are that. And uh, Ray Phoenix to Ray Mysterio. Mm, yeah. Those those are the only two that I credit. The other ones I don't see. The Young Bucks as the Hardys, that one's kind of tricky for me. All they had was similar attires for that one. I mean, and that was only for a brief period of time for the Hardy Boys' career. The very early days. Up. The very yeah. early days. Not even when they were popular. Once yeah. they yeah, got popular, they were wearing all black, and Jeff had his hair painted. Mm-hmm. Oh man. No, uh, so it's like. Ahead, I, I definitely think that a list like this and then other ones that have been circling around for years and years and years, we've been talking about, oh, well, Dolph Ziggler is just this reincarnation of Shawn Michaels. And, oh, th- this guy is just like this guy from the past. He's version 2.0. All of these comparisons are exactly why we will never, well, not never, but we were not likely to ever get a star like John Cena, Stone Cold, because we're always comparing them to the stars of the past. We're never going to be better than the past, or we're never going to make a new platform or a new era of guys when all they are is just bootlegs and copycats. And even if they, they're doing the completely different things, if people are still comparing them, they're never going to break away from the comparison. Oh, yeah, no. And to, and, and to like, I again, I think I just... I think it's just that these they're, they're trying to recreate the past when you need to be building a bigger and better future. And to live in that past is dangerous because you're trying to live in an era where that doesn't exist anymore. I'm sorry, it just doesn't exist anymore. And nothing wrong with it not existing anymore, but we need to live in a new era. And not, not because I've used that term so many times. But you need to create new stars. And the only way you create new stars is through not comparing them to the past. And to compare Darby Allen to The Undertaker, I know we're on a time crunch here, so I don't want to go too deep into these, these gripes that disrespectful, I have. The Undertaker, at that point. You're <laughs> talking a more, a, 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 on the most basic level, an undead mortician to an emo skater boy. That's what you're telling me is the same thing? Absolutely freaking not. I'm sorry, but there's no way. The Undertaker is by far, in my opinion, the single greatest professional wrestler in the history of the business. I spoke about it in our very first episode. And I stand by that because of what he has done in 30 years at the top of the business. Darby Allin could become a star in the future, and that would be fantastic. I'd be so happy for him. I love him. But he is not the freaking Undertaker. And I will stand by that because he never will be the Undertaker. He never should have to be the Undertaker. No one will ever be the Undertaker. And that's why making the Bray Wyatt comparison earlier that I made was horribly like wrong of me to make but 
it's I didn't make it in the sense that I was comparing Bray Wyatt's character to the Undertaker. I was just making it in the sense of the star power and the level of outreach to the the, the community in the world. You know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. At the end of the day, I just think if you're gonna do that, those comparisons, if you need to make them somewhat compatible. And the only one, like I said, that I can genuinely give credit to is Austin to Moxley. Because Moxley has taken that Austin-type gimmick and modernized it. And that's okay. But besides that one out of those, I can't give any of them credit. And that Darby Allen to The Undertaker one sits so poorly with me. It infuriates me in more ways than I can count. <sighs> Alright. Um, yeah, so... We got about four minutes left, so anybody, uh, anybody want to add anything else to this discussion? We kind of covered everything that I had to bring up. Any other last-minute questions or comments on the topic? Uh, I actually have one question for both of you, really quick. All right, bring it on. Um, how do you feel about the next generation professional wrestlers? And by that I mean, um, like Brian Pillman Jr., uh, Davy Boy Smith Jr. You know, taking their, I guess, their father's gimmicks oh, and. Yeah like kind of trying to put their own twist on it. How do you feel about that? I like it, but don't make it the same thing. I, I'm going to stand by that. Dominic Mysterio has been different than his father so far, and I want it to stay that way, but I don't know if it will, and I'm afraid that it won't. And I and I think that at the end of the day, that's what's needed. More than anything, you need to avoid letting that become the reality. You cannot be your father come again. Not not Dominic, not Davey, not, not Brian, none of them. They need to be different, and that's the only way that they'll – ever make it in the business, in my opinion. Austin, what do you got? No, I completely agree. I mean, you'll always live in their shadow if you're never willing to step out of it and be yourself, you know? Um, I think a huge, huge detriment example is Curtis Axel. And we've circled Mm -hmm. all the way back to Curtis Axel, but let's talk about how his gimmick was, again, just... I'm Mr. Perfect Son. Look at me. I'm Mr. Perfect, Perfect Son. Per- no intended. Perfect example. <laughs> he, yeah. <laughs> he, he's a good wrestler. He can do, like, was he ever going to be world champion? No. Neither was his father, I don't think. But I, I'm, I, living in your father's shadow is, is not the way that you're ever going to get to the top. And that's all I have to say about that. Yeah. Like I said, um, with Dominic, they're doing it right. They're doing well so far. Knock on all the wood that you can find that they don't ruin it because I'm excited for Dominic's future, but we'll see what happens. Well, Dominic's an interesting case. They're giving him different theme music. It's not just a Charlotte Flair, like, (laughs) it's the same song, but it's a different song kind of thing. It's a different theme song. He's got different attire. He's got, I I think, different logos and stuff. I'm not really sure. He's not wearing a mask. It's brilliant because he's he's not a photocopy of his father. And, you know, I could talk about this for a while. But yeah, we're under that's a, just my point. Yeah, we're under yeah. a minute now, so we're going to have to wrap it up. But uh, Austin, we thank you for joining us, man. It's been a pleasure to have you. We hope you have you back sometime soon. Always ask. I'll be, I'll be waiting for the call. All right, Angelo, uh, thank you as well, as always. And we'll be back hopefully in another week with another episode. And uh, we shall see you all very soon. And always remember to never be afraid to be a fan. See you later, everybody.